Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome back to Faith in Your Recovery. This is Randy Davis. Hey, if you were with us last week, we had a gentleman with us out of Pennsylvania, Vernon Heinemann. He's back again. I told you then. This is going to have to stretch to two episodes. It's good stuff. We've been talking a lot about recovery. We're going to stay in that genre, that uh, that arena. You know, we're about all things recovery. And uh, Vernon certainly got a passion and knowledge and a great understanding of it. He'll be the first to admit he doesn't know it all yet. He did it one time, but now he's gotten wiser and realizes he doesn't know as much. Is that accurate? Oh, my goodness, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if, if if education doesn't make you curious, you wasted your money. <laughs> <laughs> so we left last week's episode talking about bottom-up parenting. And uh, Vernon, if you will, just give them about a 30-second, a 60-second reminder of what bottom-up parenting is. And then we're going to move forward into bottom-up pastoring. So go ahead, yeah. please. So one way, one metaphor for uh, top-down parenting is you constrain, you know, it's like a syringe. You have a constraint and you're the plunger, you put pressure and with the pressure and the constraint, the pressure of the plunger and the constraint, you cause an outcome and it's based on pressure. It's based on constraint and pressure. The opposite of that is bottom-up parenting. It's So in top-down parenting, the authority is at the top and there's pressure involved. In the bottom-up parenting, there's fertility involved. Think of it like a, f- a farmer's field. You, the, the, the author- there's still authority, but the person with the authority is providing space within boundaries. So there are some boundaries there. The boundaries can move in and out based on what the needs of the, of the, of the child is. But um, there's the, the authorities underneath. And so you're allowing freedom within boundaries. So you're create your you're, you're you're setting your kid up for success and showing them within boundaries how they can succeed. So the difference is top-down parenting is depending on your presence and your pressure, whereas bottom-up parenting is teaching the kids to self-regulate. So you're teaching them uh, how to um, how to make their life work. So bo- top-down, if you're not there, they're off the ranch. Bottom-up parenting, they're self-regulating. So over time, as you fade, uh, as your as your authority fades from their lives as they get older, they're already self-regulating. They or you've set them up for success, and they already know how to make their lives work. I, I like that idea. You've set them up for success. That's every yes. parent's dream. Yes, uh, you yes. want to see that child succeed, whatever that means to them. Uh, it's not to be dictated, right? Although the problem is. We replicate what we experience. So if we don't know that bottom up is one of the options and top down is the only thing that we have, we do the very best we can. The problem is if you're doing top down, your your ability to produce constraint and pressure is limited. 
And also, your kid is not becoming self-regulated. So what happens in a, in a top-down context, your kids regulated, regulated all through high school, do their homework. They go to college. And and next thing you know, they, they, they got straight Fs and they partied their whole semester away because they got away from you for once and they did whatever they wanted to do. They weren't self-regulated. Yeah, they got out of that syringe that you yes. mentioned in yes. the earlier episode, like that hole that's there. They found, yeah. they created a hole, perhaps, yes. regardless. Yes. Okay, so as we talked in that earlier episode, we said that we we talked about the church and how the church responds in the cases of uh, addiction, how our churches look at it, etc. And you made mention of the phrase bottom-up pastoring. I want you to explain to the folks and to me, quite honestly, what what you're talking about with bottom-up pastoring. So pastoring... A, a top-down pastoring emulates a corporate structure. We we had uh, the military-industrial complex. We know what that is. Well, we built the church-industrial complex. The church-industrial complex is a CEO kind of pastor uh, at the top with all the authority at the top, and it ripples down from there. Money goes up, control comes down. It's really predictable, but it but that scenario, that that structure can exist. It sometimes exists for its own benefit. It doesn't exist for the benefit of the people. If you look at the if you look at the cathedrals in Europe that are now museums, right? How did we build those? We build them by leveraging people. We said, "Hey, your Aunt Mary, who's screaming in purgatory at this moment, can get out if you could just give me five grand." <laughs> you know, we 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 leveraged people. And now we do it differently. We do it with hell, right? Same deal. But we leveraged people to do that. It's top down, okay? Bottom up is, for instance, pastoring in a group of people, right? We, we, you know, we have a, um, instead of having a lead pastor as a corporate structure, you might have a group of pastors who pastor a church. Uh, can be men and women, you know? Um but if you look at uh, how Jesus did it, Jesus, Jesus took his 12 disciples. What was expected of Jesus, Jesus was supposed to, they, the way their system worked, if you're a rabbi, Jesus was a rabbi. It was not an honorary title. He was a rabbi. And um, he was supposed to pick 12 of the brightest people he could find and take them into the temple and educate them as his followers. That's how all of the, that's how the rabbi, rabbis worked. And it would, you know, they would subsequently do the same thing. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes and gets 12 of the biggest doofuses he could find and brings them into the temple, right? He brings them into the temple because he's saying, you know, it's not about what you know. You know, I'm going to, with these people, I'm going to, I'm going to form, I'm going to change the world. And by the way, we, every time we write a check, every time we think we're using his birthday as a reference, right? His the, the, uh, Jesus was so successful, his 12 guys, that we still use his birthday to keep time. So, you know, so yeah, so so Jesus had this bottom-up thing. Jesus takes them, he, he asks questions, and he's not, it, does Jesus have authority? He has actually all authority in heaven and earth. But does he act like that? You know, no, he's not. Um, the only people Jesus is really hard on are the people who are being hard on other people. 
you know, the, the religious he, leaders, he didn't have a lot of good say about those folks sometimes. He didn't he wield them. he didn't wield his authority as much as offer it to us. Yes. Is that accurate yes. in your yes. thinking? As a consultant, yeah. if you have to reach for the if, if as a consultant, if you have to reach for the contract, you lost already. You already lost. You're just figuring out how bad the loss is going to be. As a parent, if you have to remind your kids the, that you're the parent, you've already lost. You're just deciding how bad the loss is going to be. They, they, it means your kids don't trust you. You're, you're having to reiterate, hey, who's the parent here? But but if you're um, – we have this a gravitational – I've got a gravitational model for this that I've developed. I'm actually writing a book on it right now. Normally, we think um, if we're going to give people advice, right, if we're going to if we're going to mentor them, they're on some trajectory, and we have to meet their trajectory in order to impart this device. And if you've got three different kids, they've got three different trajectories. That's a lot of moving around. Another way of doing it, kind of a more Jesus way of doing it, I look at what we are as humans. I have a SPIRE acronym, spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional. It's the five things that make us human. And when those are centered, they they centered on Jesus and, and they're dense, they create a gravitas in your life. They create gravity. So if you have spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional health, and you're centered on Jesus, you're creating gravity. And gravity allows the possibility of, a, of, a, of, a, of having um, a satellite. So the difference is, if you think about a satellite, Earth is relatively stationary with this huge mass. And these satellites are going a lot faster, but they're equidistant the whole time. Satellites are communication devices. So there's a big speed differential, but the Earth and the satellite are talking back and forth all the time. So if you are living a life as a parent or as a mentor, if you have a life as, a, as an AA sponsor, if you're living a life of gravitas, it will cause people to orbit you. They're going very fast and you're stopped. But you can talk to them the whole time. And the idea is the Earth is is unworried about how many satellites are up there. The, the, and so what happens is satellites start orbiting and they form a community, right? So if you have somebody that has a um, gravitas in their life, you'll find people gravitating to them and orbiting them. And in that orbit, you'll find people um, finding community. Jesus was this attractive something about him, right? People just flocked to him. And um, until he told them something they didn't like, and then they didn't flock so much. Actually, they, they flocked, and then they flocked off. You know, they, yes. <laughs> yeah. So as you talk about this gravitas, about that, about that pull, that magnetism of a sort, how does that translate into into recovery into maybe what we could call bottom up recovery uh, so yes think about recovery you don't so here's what we don't do we don't give somebody the big book and say hey take this book home read it cover to cover when you got it done and you understand everything in the book come back and talk to us we'll see if we can help you that's not how recovery happens they may not see the big book for a year <laughs> We invite them into this room of people, and in the room, nobody's wearing a mask. Everybody is uh, admitting that they don't have it figured out and that they're working on it, but they trust that a, a, a something outside of themselves is going to cause them to, to, to live, is going gonna, is gonna to help them live. And everybody's saying the same thing. I can't do this. I've done that. My best has got me to today, and I need help. 
And so they're getting help from each other and help from a higher power. So in recovery, we we start out with a group of people that the, the gravitas is the group itself. The, there's coffee. You know, it's, it's a good place, be. right? There's coffee and, and, and there's people that are smiling and there's people that are weeping and there's people that are real. So initially, the gravitas is this group of people who are willing to be honest. And then if if you if you're if you're really sick, if you're progressing, eventually somebody in that group will stand out to you and you'll think that person knows some things that I would like to know and I don't really understand them. So you approach them and you say, would you be my sponsor? Would you care for me as a father would care for a child, as a mother would care for a child? And you get a sponsor. And a sponsor has special permission in your life. When you go to a recovery meeting, they're going to tell you what to do. They won't. They're not going to tell you what to do. They're not going to criticize you. They're just going to listen to you. But when you ask a sponsor, a sponsor is somebody that has gravitas. You look at them and you say, there's something about that person. And you invite that person specifically to speak into your life. And they will criticize you. Often, with a very so we my, my buddy says don't cut me with a dull knife cut me with a sharp knife you know get it over with <laughs> don't make a mess right just cut it get it done say, tell yes. me say what you got to hey so a skilled mentor a skilled sponsor will care for you in a way that a parent may not have been able to and and I believe this is all an echo of what Jesus does for us Jesus is not a control freak. He doesn't, he's not ashamed of us. Jesus says, who you are and what you've done are not the same. I love you. I may not have loved what you've done, but I love you. And could we separate? People have labels. We have labels for people. We, and and uh, Kierkegaard says, when you label me, you negate me, right? You label me. You're an alcohol. You're whatever. You're, you're this. And I love labels. Here's why. Because we stick the label on, we write what it's going to be, and then we rip it off. And we say that label is not who you are, and we throw it away. Yeah, Labels we're not, are wonderful because we tear them off. We're not going to be defined by that label. Uh, by our situation. Yeah. Our situation yes. is just – I'll tell you, the worst situation to find yourself, everybody thinks if they just had more money, they'd be fine. The worst situation that you can find yourself in is when your addiction is socially acceptable. That's – that makes total when, sense. When your addiction produces power, right? So we think about rock star. Everybody wants to be a rock star until you are one, and th and they want to be anonymous. You know, <laughs> you know, they get to the top of that mountain, and it isn't what they expected. You know, one thing about the top of mountains: there ain't no vegetables up there. There's no <laughs> bathrooms up there. Right? There's nothing up there. It's just a nice view. You know, you want anything? You got to go back down the valley. All the food's down there. <laughs> I never thought of it with the food uh, aspect, all right, yeah, metaphor, but uh, no, that fits quite well. So what what does true recovery look like? How do we, you've given us plenty of hints how to get there, steps, and I don't mean AA steps, I just mean progressive motion kind of steps. But what does recovery look like after you've been in a life of active addiction? So we, we think that everybody who has an addiction 
and is, is, is bottomed out, has realized that it's not going to work for them. They want to go back to the day before they started their addiction so they can do oh. it over. They want to just, just take me back to the day before I took my first drink. Take me back to the day before. I'll do it differently. And that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, I'm not taking you back there. I'm taking you all the way back to the garden, right? We're going to go all the way back to what I originally intended for you. So the life of to be transfigured is to be made new. You know, uh, scripture says, I've taken your heart of stone, giving a heart of flesh. And, and it's to be made alive, fully alive. Arrhenius says, the, the glory of God is man truly alive. It's the idea that we're that Jesus is living out of us. It's us and Jesus. We're oriented and we're and we're empowered by Jesus. Our recovery is not powered by our goodwill, our good intentions. It's covered. It's recovered by the power of God in us. We don't. We don't get to do it ourselves. We don't even get to order it ourselves. We, we go in the order, the spirit brings things up for us to do. And, and I got to tell you, whatever a person in addiction recovery has to do to find sobriety is exactly what every Christian has to do to follow Jesus. It's the same. The, the advantage that people with addictions have is they can see it. Uh, and the disadvantage that that regular Christians have is they think they have to do it. They 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 think they think it's up to them, and so they try and do it in their own power. And when you try to live in your own power, you become a moralist. It becomes about moral behavior, not transfiguration, not being made to to look like Jesus. And we can't fix ourselves. So uh, so addiction. The first part of the first part of addiction recovery is accepting. I'm not, I, my way has not worked. And, and, and God has always loved me. And what do we do with that? And then we listen in a group, in community. So first part is accepting you're loved by Jesus and, 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 and that there's an answer. And the second part is becoming part of a group of people who are imperfect as well. I, I go back to your comment there about how so many times we want to go back to that day before. Before the doom and the gloom and everything hit. And my attitude has often been when I'm speaking with folks, if you go back here, you've just got to relive it again. You've got to go to yes. a new place. Uh, you Christ gotta says, new. behold, I make all things new. You're yes. a new creation, yes. etc." cetera. Uh, yes. Going back to his original intent there in the garden, as you mentioned. And yes. you've got to take that path. God wastes nothing. So here's the deal. What's the difference between poop and fertilizer? Redemption. It's the same stuff, right? So I, I you know, I, in church, I did a sermon on that one time. I, I said, you know, there's a, a movie called The Martian, and this guy is left uh, for dead on, on Mars. It takes seven years to get, go back and get him, and they thought he's dead. They left him. He knows how to, he's a botanist. He knows how to make oxygen. He knows, and, and he's got potatoes, but the soil is irradiated. So he has to go get the freeze-dried poop of the people who left him and mix it with the soil. No poop, no potatoes. And that's what I said. If we cannot bring the worst thing that we've done, the worst thing that's happened to us to church, we can't grow. No poop, no potatoes. If you can't, God does not waste feces. He makes it into fertilizer. 
And so we look at this stuff with shame. I wish that didn't happen. And when people say that to me, I say, oh, you're wishing away the fertilizers can make vegetables. Ain't no carrots if you don't have if you don't have. So so I'm looking at saying, no, offer it to God. So when you take the things you're ashamed of and you offer them to Jesus, you say, Jesus, would you make something of this? I can't. It's poop. It's poop. I'm ashamed to even admit every human poops, you know, and, and you just say, I'm ashamed of it. And, and, and Jesus takes it and sometimes he forms a tool out of it and says, hey, there's a ton of people, same problem. Why don't you go? You and me, we're going to go help those other people with the same problem. They don't have to go to the same place you did. We make a tool out of it. And other times, so I, I call that offering your sin on the altar of testimony which means I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to, to for the glory of the redemption of, of the redemptive power of Jesus, I'm going to testify that I am new, that this happened to me and it was my situation and it is not who I am. It's a matter of sharing our poop uh, so that. they can have potatoes. It's yes. a matter it, of yeah. uh, opening up and yes. uh, spilling ourselves and offering that. I'm yes. just, I'm chuckling to myself about seeing this as the bulletin title, poop uh, equals potatoes or oh, however yeah. so, it so, may so I didn't, we didn't have a bulletin that week and, and I didn't get invited back to speak very often there. So, you know, and there, there's probably a good reason for that. But, but, but the truth is, if we're, if we can't get over our shame, if we can't say I'm imperfect, so the problem is it starts if we have a top-down pastorate. That, so here's the problem with – so 30% of pastors in, in the evangelical church are porn addicts at this point, 30%. I help pastors. I, I help pastors a ton. So here's the deal with the pastor. If they admit they have a problem, they get fired, they get divorced, and they lose the community all in the same day. So one of the things we could do is start allowing – expecting our pastors to be imperfect and and saying if you're imperfect we're not going to run you out we're going to care for you we're going to care for you we're going to forgive you we're going to care for you that does not mean that we should allow people to abuse people i'm not saying that sure. i'm saying i'm saying that there's a redemptive process and if sometimes you know one of the I love the metaphor of uh, so there's this story Jesus Jesus uh, the, the 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 where where they drop the uh, paralytic into Jesus in that culture if your friends are carrying you anywhere it's because your family abandoned you so so uh, previous to that the disciples are asking Jesus there's this temp there's this tower in, in Jerusalem that fell on some people whose sin caused that and Jesus is like. I'm not like that. That's not what I do. And so they, so these, these uh, people bring this paralytic, they drop him through the roof to Jesus. Jesus says, I forgive your sins. And then he says this profound thing. He says, pick up your mat, which he no longer needs. Go and go home, not to Jerusalem. These people, his, the way they, they would solve, if, if you had a paralytic kid in that culture, it meant that you had some hidden sin. So they had a solution for that. They'd take a trip to Jerusalem with the kid and come back without him, drop him off at the, at the pool and, and come back without him. It solved their social problem. It solved their perception problem. And the kid probably got better services in Jerusalem anyhow. And so these people had abandoned this kid. And Jesus said, go home. Go to the people who abandoned you. He's saying, go forgive them. 
my good golly, I missed that. How did I miss that for so many years? Go forgive them. You know, do they deserve it? Probably not. But it's the power of Jesus that produces forgiveness. Folks, I hope you're hearing something here. I want to go ahead and point out the fact, yeah, this is about addiction. Yeah, this is about those who struggle. But man, we've all got our struggle. We've all got our addiction. That You mentioned earlier yes. something about the worst of addictions are those that are uh, accepted Socially by acceptable. society. Socially acceptable. And we've all got that. Maybe it's to our eating. Maybe it's to any number of things. Don't even need to go through that. But this applies. This works in all of those and that's important to recognize yes. and i thank you yes. for bringing that out where yes you know and that tells me that we must not be a whole lot different than that individual who oh, struggles oh. with that drug that alcohol we're not we're not so so gaber matey is a is this canadian guy that i really uh, appreciate he's a psychologist and he defines addiction this way he says Addiction is a complex psychological, physiological process which manifests in any behavior, any behavior that a person enjoys, finds relief in, and therefore craves in the short term, but suffers negative consequences in the long term and doesn't give up despite the negative consequences. So craving pleasure and relief in the short term, negative consequences in the long term, and the inability to give it up. So that describes, so here's what happens. If you try and control an addiction, say you have a porn addiction and you try and control it, what will happen is you might control it for a little bit. It's going to morph. You're suddenly going to gain weight because suddenly it becomes an eating addiction. When you try to control an addiction, it morphs. You have to take the air out of the addiction. You have to, the, 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 what's driving it is not the addiction itself. It's the thing under the addiction. What Jesus says, C.S. Lewis says, you know, uh, as a sore tooth, and he doesn't want to go to the dentist because he goes, the dentist never deals with just one tooth. He deals with the whole mouth because I don't want him doing that. And the same with Jesus, right? We come because we have a porn addiction, and Jesus transfigures our whole lives. We come out different human beings. We're not necessarily looking for that, but that's what he does. We are transfigured. We become new human beings. And we you think about it, being transfigured means we have the eyes of Jesus. We start seeing things Jesus' way. And we start sensing, hearing things Jesus' way. And we spend Jesus' platinum card, right? We're using his resources. Everybody says they want to do it in their own. I'm like, well, good luck with the air you're going to make to do that. Because other than that, you're... You know. Even even getting up, you know, you're 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 breathing the air that God has provided for you. One thing about addiction, nobody, nobody ever recovers from addiction without gratitude. Nobody without gratitude. You, you will not you will not recover from addiction without gratitude. It is the secret sauce. Go ahead. The, Explain that. Okay, gratitude. Gratitude, um, so gratitude says um, w- w- um, the opposite of gratitude is resentment, right? Resentment. So uh, if you have an expectation, if you have an expectation of somebody else, expectations are premeditated resentments, right? I have this expectation. I didn't tell you before I got on the program today, but I'm expecting you to 
do something. I'm not going to tell you, but in the back of my mind, I've got this expectation you're going to do something, Randy. And because I didn't tell you, there's a 0% chance it's going to happen, right? And and so I'm, I'm I'm in this thing with you. We're doing this interview. And in the back of my mind, I got this expectation you that isn't going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, then I resent Randy. And I think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm angry at Randy. Well, you didn't know. I didn't, it was un, I didn't talk. Well, that's what resentment looks like. Here's what gratitude looks like. I uh, was minding my own business, and I got a, a, an invite to talk with a friend on a podcast. And the, the tech guy on the call said, I have somebody you want to meet. And so he invited me. Eric invited me to meet you. And in less than a week, I go from a really cool podcast with a really good friend of mine to meeting you. There's nothing but gratitude here. You, you, you're, knowing you is going to make my life better today. You know, and and there's no end to it. And oh, by the way, Randy, we're going to be neighbors forever. You know, you can't get rid of me that easy. We're eternal neighbors. You think about it. The one thing in our lives that is eternal is our relationships. Yes, incredible. It's incredible. Yes. Yes. So Eric, Eric produced an eternal outcome in my life today by introducing me to you. Such gratitude. It starts with that vertical relationship with uh, between us, God, Christ, Holy yes. Spirit, etc., yes. and moves to that horizontal between you and I. Different friends, That's right. different That's communities. Right. That's right. So different. Here's the thing: you're going to struggle with trusting God. You're going to struggle with gratitude if you can't trust God. So here's, here's something that's really important. If we often view God in the way we viewed our own parents, they are the representative of God for us when we're forming and we're young, and we often see God in the same way. So if they were imperfect, we're going to struggle to trust God. If you cannot trust God, and there's a ton of us who can't, here's the answer. You pray and you say, God, I would love to trust you. But I can't. Unless you give me the trust that I need, I'm never going to be able to trust you. I don't know how to fix this. I know that you're good, theoretically, but my, my head knows you're good. My heart isn't so convinced. Could you move this message a, a foot and a half to the left? <laughs> Our experience dictates so much yes. of that. Yes. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thus, yeah. But we can pray for what we need. Sometimes the prayer is fundamental. Lord, I can't, I have no faith. Give me faith. I have no trust. Give me trust. He doesn't expect us to produce those things. We are not the manufacturer of those things. He says, you have not because you ask not. And sometimes we're asking for the rent money instead of trust. Yes. Yes. We're asking for the moment instead of the permanency. Yes. And, uh, we gain yes. that trust. We've got it day in, day out, regardless of the circumstance. Yes. Uh, we've got a little more time here, but what is it you want the folks to know? What have I missed out on as far as a question or a comment or something that slipped your mind that you want to make sure the folks know when it comes to their recovery? When it comes to the relationship with Christ, we've talked about that so much. When it comes about uh, 
that change that only he can create. Yes. So one of the things, be curious, be curious. Um, so a few years ago, I, I, I went to the 12 step, you know, I, I was part of this in jail working, you know, I, I went into the prison and helped out in this way. And I learned everything I learned. And, and, and subsequently there were Christians who were um, put off by the fact that uh, often Alcoholics Anonymous says I'm an alcoholic. And then to me, that's like saying I'm a diabetic, which I am. You know, it doesn't mean it's my identity. It means something I, I, I uh, diabetes is something I struggle with, not my identity. But they're put off by that. So they brought, they, they, they started, you know, Saddleback Church started this, um, a form of recovery, uh, more steps. Uh, but, and, and it's different. It's, it's, it, it, and here's what I learned in all of this. If someone's finding sobriety, don't criticize it. <laughs> the pray, our, pray for them. Yeah. Pray for them. Our organization of Better Life Brianna's Hope, we're not a 12 step. We know 12 step works. It has yes. and it's going to continue sure. to, and we're thankful for that. Yes. But I also believe there are those it does not work for. Either and, they are not yes. at a point where they're ready to receive yes. and accept yes. some of the rigidity or yes. any other aspect of it. So we provide a different avenue, take you on sloppy, raw, and real. Beautiful. And Beautiful. Uh, as you were talking earlier, we give them a chance for that testimony to yes. speak their pain, to, yes. to open up and we receive and accept that as they are at that moment, hoping and praying they'll become more of what uh, God's intent is for their life. There's so nothing... good, so good. Randy, that's beautiful. And, well, and here's the deal. If people are finding sobriety through that, who's going to criticize that? Just yeah. go with it. Go with it. And we with... have. Yeah. So and good. So we've good. had some of that. Some of those negative critiques, but that's because they don't understand, and they're probably negative about a whole lot more than just this. That's aspect. right. God has but, called you to this, it, oh, it, 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 and it's working. It's the power of God in you, and it works. And so, look at the successes. Look at the people who. When I work with somebody, I tell them, "I just want to. I want to tell you right now, I'm working for your grandkids, because if you get even part of this." Your grandkid is going to have a very different life. Your kid are going to have a different life. Your grandkids have got a very, very different life. When you help somebody find sobriety, you change. You know, we talk about poop rolling downhill. Well, functionality rolls downhill as well, right? And when you find sobriety, when you find Jesus, people are raised in context where trusting is easier. And between well, the generations, it gets easier. Yeah. And the scriptures talk about the generations yes. that it lays a curse on that yes. follows that individual. And if we can help break that, we've just freed, as you said, their grandkids or great-grandkids. Right, right. Or... So, so we, we, we mapped the human genome, and we found that trauma does not change your genes. We know that for a fact. But we have these studies that we did. There was a study where they um, they dropped these uh, 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 they had these mice and they dropped in uh, uh, cherry blossoms and they electrocuted them at the same time for their whole generation. And then 
they stopped that. They had a subsequent generation and then a third generation of these mice. And in the third generation, none of the none of these mice ever knew one of the mice that had been electrocuted. They dropped cherry blossoms in and they all the mice freaked out. Because so there was a method by which this genetic it wasn't a, we know it wasn't their genome because we can measure the genes, we know that they didn't change. So they have a new area called epigenetics. And epigenetics are not the how the genes change, but how they communicate. But there is information encoded in that intergenerationally, and we're studying that right now from a medical standpoint. But the scripture tells us that, right? We've known that for from a scriptural standpoint, but but we don't know it. You know, science and scripture they're they're not enemies. They, um, you know, if uh, they, they, when they're working well, they're they're um, they're agreeing. Because science is seeking to find the truth, and and Jesus is the truth. <laughs> Amen. Vernon, I'll tell you what, I think this is episode 113 or 14 that we've done. How beautiful. I, I am I'm looking forward to getting back and hearing what we've said and the advice <laughs> you've given, because I am so intent on what you have to say and what you have to share. I don't think I even hear it all. But as I get to play this back, I start to learn and I start to gain. Oh, Randy, I'm learning too. Uh, literally being here, um, we God uses our situations yeah. for our benefit. He says we, he makes all things uh, work together for those who trust him. And, and I believe that our situations, even when they're really hard, they are valuable. God wastes nothing. I that, know that God. I know that God redeems people, but I've come to know that God also redeems sin. He redeems it. The, the Apostle Paul says, "Not that I should sin more, <laughs> you know, not right? that I should sin more, but when we're willing to let the shame go and we're willing to talk about it, God takes our story. We are our stories, right? And and." You know, Jesus told stories. He didn't say platitudes. He didn't come up with bullet points because you can argue with bullet points. Most of the stories Jesus told, some powerful people were the butt of the story that you talk the the the, the Good Samaritan, right? Yes. The Good Samaritan yes. was less about the Samaritans than the other three guys. The other three guys were in the audience, right? <laughs> they were they were getting the message. Hey, you might think right, but you're not. You're not that that thinking hasn't invaded your being. Thinking and doing are different, and and being trained. You know, it's good to know right from wrong, but it's way better to be so transfigured that you want good. It's one thing exactly. to behave; it's another thing to want to behave. <laughs> yes. Well, listen, Vernon. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to say thank you, but thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, your time, your wisdom, your intellect and experiences, all you've shared with us. And yeah, uh, you you said something earlier, we're going to be eternal neighbors. I can't on that, okay? And you may be getting another call or two just with a question. Oh, I love it. I love uh, but, it. Uh, what you've given to us has been more than more than wonderful and we appreciate that and way Christ God work in your life your experiences uh 
going to his piece and what's the timing of the Thank day. You. Merry Christmas to you and Merry yours Christmas. and God bless and folks. Randy, uh, do we have yes. time for me to pray for you? Sure, I'd love that. Oh, Go well, ahead. thank you, thank you for thank you for Randy. Thank you for this gift that you've given him, for this platform uh, to like a beacon to help people who may or may not have hope. Lord, thank you for hope. Thank you for the hope that lives within Randy. Thank you for this program that um, that points to you. Lord, it doesn't point to Randy. It doesn't point to me. It points to you. It says the answer is Jesus. The answer Amen. is love. And love displaces all of the fear and that you are our good father. You are caring for us. You are good mother. You are, you have our best interest at heart and that we can trust you, Lord. Give us the trust that we need. Give us the faith that we need and help us to spread it around like there's no tomorrow, Lord. Help us to, to give it away and help us to be people of grace. Help us to be people who love so extravagantly that people are shocked. Amen. Amen. And uh, folks, we pass that same love on to you. And I hope you experience that each time you pop open one of our podcasts, get on the platform and tune in. I hope we're turning you on to Jesus. We're turning you on to recovery in that order. I believe that's the way it's got to be. God bless. Stay in the battle. Amen. Amen.